So in today's episode, we have a very good friend of mine. His name is Matt Richter. Matt is currently the head baseball coach at Cedarville University, a Division II college in the great state of Ohio. Matt has been involved in baseball for 30 years, I would say. He's he's coached at various different levels across the game, coached at junior college level. He's He's been always been an assistant coach, and so this past season at Cedarville was his first time as a head college baseball coach. So he talks about some of the lessons that he learned as a first-year head coach in this episode. We get into some college recruiting. We talk about some of the things that he sees in the recruiting process and the mistakes that a lot of parents and players make. And then he talks about you know who he specifically is looking for in the recruiting process and, and how he goes about identifying those players. So this is a good one. Matt's a great guy. Appreciate him coming on the podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to share it with somebody, All right, whether it be a friend, whether you tweet on social media, share it with somebody. Let's continue to grow this thing so we can impact more coaches, which in turn will be able to impact more players. Hope you enjoy this one. Matt Richter, head coach, Cedarville University. Here we go. This is the future. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. All right, we now welcome on to the podcast, Matt Richter. Matt, appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. So this this past season at, at Cedarville um, was your first year as a, as a first-time head coach. I know you've been coaching for a long time, but as you reflect back on the on this past season, your first year as a head coach, like what are some things that you, that maybe you learned? Um, that you know you're going to take with you into 2024 and, and for the rest of your career. Yeah. Well, with anything else in coaching, I mean, your your responsibility is is to love. It's to love your guys, and it's really different to come into a situation where you don't know your guys. And so, um, I think that the biggest lesson that I will take away from this first year is uh, the importance of getting to know your guys personally. Uh, you know, I had eight seniors this year and I was only going to get 10 months with them. And as much as I wanted to come in and give them as much baseball stuff as I possibly could as their head coach, um, the most important thing for them is that they knew that they had somebody that cared for them, that was going to try and give them a great experience on and off the field. Uh, and so when you realize you just have a limited window with guys, um, you know, caring about their life away from the field is so much more important. Uh, than than anything that we can do on the field. Now, of course, the best way to love a baseball player is is to coach them and give them the best baseball information you possibly can. But uh, what I'll remember and take away, especially from this group that just graduated uh, and leaving behind a really small group, frankly, of returners this coming year is is get to know them, love them, find out what matters to them, know that they've got an entire life ahead of them and try and equip them to live that life as best they possibly can. What are some things that that you think the program needs to improve upon just from a baseball standpoint going into next year? Like, what is there something that you're already thinking about this fall that like, you really want to emphasize based on what you saw this past season? Yeah, well, history of the program, just really briefly, um, baseball is is, uh, you know, if you were to look at our record, we started in 1896 was when the first baseball was played at zero. It was a long time ago. And it was a program that didn't. Um, 
you know, didn't have a lot of success. And they hired a new head coach in 2007, Mike Manis, who came in here and took a program that was winning two, three, four, five games a year and turned him into a program that was really, really successful at the NAI level and started winning that 20, 25, 30, even had a 38 win season a decade ago. He did a great job and he did a great job because he loved the game and uh, and he wanted to instill that love in his players. He actually went out and recruited players to come here. Guys didn't just show up. The transition from NAI to Division II um, was a challenge for this program. And this conference that we play in the GMAC just keeps getting better. Some teams from uh, from the GLIAC have come in over the last couple of years, Northwood, Ashland, perennial, uh, regional, and even national powers. To be successful at, at this level, um, it's it's honestly it's built around it's built around your roster composition and uh, so for us you know at division one programs you're playing a Friday Saturday Sunday single game you got this normal weekend series the division two level limited resources um, financially especially in trying to cut down on travel trying to play as many games in as short a period of time as possible our conference is set up that we play back to back double headers so when you're playing four games in thirty hours. And you're having eight of those series. That's 30. That's your 32 conference games right there. And they're all happening in these tiny windows. It's just a really different way to play the game. But we know college baseball is an offensive game and it's becoming even more offensive as, as hitters and hitting coaches are figuring out what to do with this velocity and spin stuff. And uh, with it being an offensive game, uh, it really challenges your pitching and your pitching depth. And if you do not have a full set of arms, uh, you're really going to struggle at this level. So we started our spring with uh, with 12 arms, not 12 healthy arms. We finished our spring with seven arms. You don't win. Uh, you don't win a lot of college baseball games when you've got seven pitchers on your pitching staff and uh, and you're trying to play four games in 30 hours. So biggest thing for us is we need more dudes in here. So we're super excited. We got 17 freshmen coming in in late August. We'll have a couple transfers in there as well. We'll be up closer to, you know, 20 arms where we want to be uh, and feel like we're going to be able to to manage a pitching staff and get through four baseball games on a weekend. So, long so I didn't know that. So so there's no games. You said there's four games in two days. So is that just Saturday, Sunday, back to back? Yeah. So some of us play Friday, Saturday. Some of us play Saturday, Sunday. And yeah, they are back to back days. We're fortunate we get to, as a Christian school. There's a couple other Christian colleges in our conference that uh, our conference allows us to play on Friday, Saturday so that we can have Sunday off and have our guys in church. But um, yeah, it's back to back days. Wow. Wow. That's great. That's uh, that's interesting. I mean, do you do you go about coaching any differently knowing that? Well, you just don't get time to reset. That's the biggest thing. Um, so, you know, so from a scouting standpoint, um, you don't uh, you're really preparing for the entire weekend uh, all at one time. Um, and uh, and obviously you could see you could see an entire bullpen in one day. So trying to figure out the information that your players are going to need, your offensive players are going to need in order to be ready for another team's pitching staff. Um, it's, it's a little bit more of a cram session, frankly. Um, but really the biggest thing is, is that preparation leading up with your guys, because, you know, in baseball, um, you know, the college baseball season is a short season. You think about living in Ohio, how short the high school baseball season is, you know, you, if you have one or two bad days 
personally, that's going to impact a lot of things for you. Uh, if you have one or two bad days as a program, personally, that or I mean, as a program, it's going to impact you as well. So um, I think the thing that we really try and instill in our guys is that that every opportunity is precious. And these are things that it's not that you wouldn't talk about this if you had a three game series over three days, um, but really teaching our guys to try and slow down and know that Hey, over the course of a weekend, we could have 16, we could have 20 at bats and we could mentally really start rushing through those things. Um, so the biggest thing in preparing our guys is trying to teach them to slow down, take one at bat at a time, take one inning at a time defensively and on the mound. And if they don't do that, the weekend is gone in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know I've been there before as a player. Um, from a from a head coaching perspective, how often do you change the lineup up? Like, I mean, how often? I think that's something that I've I'm always curious about because it seems to me across college baseball, because I don't, I mean, I never coached in college, coached professionally, high school level, things like that. But at the college level, it's, it's like, man, guy hitting seven hole, he goes over, he won't be in the lineup the next game. You know what I mean? Like, and he probably knows that knowing you know, as he's 0 for 3 going to that fourth at bat, man, if I don't get a hit here, there's a there's a good chance I'm I'm not in the lineup this next game. How do you go about helping players through that? And and like what's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, there's a thousand ways to answer that question. I'll I'll try and be succinct just kind of based on my roster. Okay. So we um ultimately if you're building a program and you really get to know your guys. Um, you understand guys that are going to be able to, if, let's say that scenario of 0 for 3, um, you know the guys that are mentally tough enough to kind of pull themselves out and uh, and be ready for that fourth AB or that guy that has a really, really bad game. Um, and you're starting to think, well, do I bring this guy back in for, for game two of this double header? Some of it is going to be matchups. Obviously, you're facing a left-hander versus a right-hander. We've got a right-handed hitter who uh, who handles a fastball really, really well. He doesn't handle spin down in the zone. If we know where, you know, I could, so I could have a guy that I would really love to have in the lineup all the time, but I know he's going to get abused uh, by this particular breaking ball that we're going to see. So there is mixing and matching. I mean, if you're Jay Johnson at LSU um, and you've only got a couple other guys that you're cycling in and out based on different situations, it's very, very different. The balance as a head coach when, when you take a responsibility on like this to give a group of kids a really good college baseball experience, um, you know, you look at a lot of Division two, Division three, NAIA, junior college rosters and see 45, 55, 65 players on a roster. I mean, there you'll see teams with 80 or 90 kids on a roster and JV teams. And um, is that a great college baseball experience? It could be for some, but you know, for the guys that we bring into our program that we invest in, they get a roster spot, they get some scholarship money. We want every player in our program to feel like, hey, I've got a chance to contribute every single weekend. And so our hope is as we're building the lineup, we're doing a good job of cycling guys in and getting a meaningful opportunities. At the same time, if you've got a player that's, that's a proven leader um, and he's scuffling a little bit, you even if he has a bad day, like you need that guy in there, you're balancing more than just the over three over four. You're looking at the defense. Um, you're looking at the fact that, uh, you know, 
if he does get on via walk, is he the guy that's going to get that great dirt ball read and end up at second base? Is he the guy that's going to go first to third on that single? So it's more than uh, it's more than just whether they're barreling baseballs. It's what do they bring to your offense? What do they bring in terms of energy? So um, I will say this lastly, as far as the lineup goes, um, when you know your guys really well, it's a lot, it's a lot easier. I guarantee you that for me coming in this year as a brand new head coach and just getting to know those guys, let's go back to the fall, right? Everybody gets a fall season and you, you get done with fall ball and you're feeling like, okay, this is where my new players are. This is where my, uh, my veterans are. And then we kind of go into that winter mode with an idea of a lineup in our minds, but all of the development that takes place in a player from November, December, and January, and you're moving into your season in February, things can change in three months. If a player's doing a great job and working really hard, whether that's, whether that's uh, in the batting cage or in the bullpen, definitely in the weight room and hopefully in their heart and between their ears, primarily they could be a completely different guy in February. And so the lineup that you write for us on February 1st, when our season starts, it's not going to be the same lineup that you write on March 1st or April 1st, or if you're in a conference tournament. So uh, it's going to vary over the course of the year. The biggest thing is you don't want to do anything that is going to strip the confidence of your players. It's hard enough to play this game and have confidence. So I feel the weight. I'll say this every single time I write the lineup, I feel the weight of, um, of trying to be an encouragement and build these guys' trust and their confidence literally every time I write a lineup. Yeah. Well, I'm sure as you write the lineup too, you know that, man, some guys are going to go over to the lineup and they're going to be disappointed. And there's, yeah. there's only so many spots in the lineup, you know, you just, you, that's just the way it, way it is. Um, what about team goals? Do you believe in, in team goals or are you someone who's like, yeah, that, that's not something that, that I'm really big believer in. Yeah, I think on a broad on a broad level, I do. Um, you know, this program has not won a conference tournament since night, or excuse me, a conference championship since 1990. It was a long time ago, a long time ago. And you know, um, being at Sinclair Community College here in Dayton as an assistant for a while under Steve Dinneman, um, you know, going to a couple junior college World Series, playing in regionals and regional championship games. We all know that that baseball gets more fun as the spring goes on and postseason baseball. And you were just talking about it. Um, you were just talking about it on your most recent podcast. Uh, postseason baseball is like nothing else. It doesn't matter the level you play at, whether you're at the NAI level, Division three level, JUCO level, Division one level. Um, so much fun. And when you get a taste of that experience as a player or a coach, it's just what you want for your guys. And so um, for me. My my broad goal is I want every single game that we play in the spring to be meaningful. And when you're pursuing that opportunity to get into a conference tournament and you get into a conference tournament and you have a great weekend and maybe you you win a conference tournament championship, uh, you find yourself in a regional. You have a great weekend in a regional. You find yourself in a super regional. And we know we know what happens from there. And so. My broad goal for our program is that every single one of our games is a meaningful game, that we're constantly pushing towards that next opportunity. We play 50 games in Division II, right? I want to play game 51 and game 52. And so everything we're doing is keep this thing meaningful all the way through. Yeah, we want to win a conference championship. Yeah, we want to get into a regional. Would love to be in carry for a College World Series someday. But it starts with 
this game matters. And the next one matters too, but this game matters right here, which means this AB matters, this inning, this hitter, this pitch. And um, so the broad goal funnels back into those, those, uh, those smaller individual goals. Love it. Yeah. Being present in the moment. I think that's, that's incredible. That's really good stuff. What about team captains? Yeah. Good question. We, um, I've done different things and seen different things um, over the years. Uh, you know, I played uh, in two programs in college, University of Arizona and Westmont College that both had captains. Loved the idea, uh, was a captain for a couple years. Um, the more I have watched things unfold uh, over the last decade as a coach, um, I, it is really important that that these guys self-select a little bit, that the we find out who the players are looking up to and who the players trust. That stuff sorts itself out. We named a captain after our last game this year, uh, and it didn't surprise anybody. We basically honored our captain, who, who wasn't named a captain over the course of the year, but it was very clear that that's who he was. Uh, that could change over, over years, depending on how your roster's made up. Um, what you don't want your players to think is that, um, and again, everything is about trust, right? We want players to be able to trust each other first and foremost. Like when the guys leave my program, they will leave as brothers for life. Um, and, and that's, you know, when they need something, they're going to walk through life together. And so whatever we can do to continue to, to build that trust amongst them is going to be really helpful. Um, I find it personally more important when it comes to getting to know players and taking care of players needs uh, is, is individual meetings with every single player. So we do about eight individual meetings over the course of the year wow. uh, with our guys that they're sitting here in the office with me and with our assistant coaches, and we're asking them how they're doing and finding out what they need. And it's in those individual conversations that we start to find out who is just so stuck on themselves and focused on their own success and their own failure and who are the guys that are really focused on what's going on in this program and what all of our guys collectively need? And when you're having those meetings and you find the guys that are about the we and not about the me, then you get to help those guys that are about we continue to grow in their leadership. And, and those are the guys that we wouldn't call them captains. We wouldn't put a C on their jersey necessarily at this point, but they know that they have that leadership responsibility. And the players know where to go to get help. Yeah, the, the irony is that, you know, the guys who are focusing on on the we and not the me and, and looking at the team and caring about the team and not focusing on themselves, they will actually perform better and have actually better statistics than the guy focusing on the me. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of like if you really, truly care about the team and you're focusing on doing whatever it takes that day to help the team just get a little bit better – you're going to play better. And I think if more players understood that they'd have more fun for one and, and they play better, you know, and I've, I've, I've heard big leaguers talk about that before too, of how that was a, a turning point in their career when they stopped thinking about, you know, themselves or getting hits. And it was just, man, what's one thing I can do today to help the team. Just one, it could be, it could be giving a guy a high five. It could be picking up a bat. You know what I mean? Something so simple, but it just, I don't, I don't know what it just being a part of something that's bigger than yourself, I think is, is what it comes down to. Yeah. And it's in every category of life, Patrick. It really is. That carries out. It should carry on with us all the way through the rest of our lives. And, and that stuff happens 
Um, some of the, it's character development. It really is character development. It starts, uh, it starts in our own hearts. Um, it's, it's so easy to get stuck on what we want and what we need. And, um, honestly, we want to try and we want to remind people daily, um, that, that God's put us in each other's lives in many ways to try and help meet each other's needs. I don't have all the gifts that I need to make my life what it should be. I don't have, I don't have it all inside of me. Um, and, and nobody around me does either, but we have so much to share with each other. And, uh, and so, and, and the, the baseball field is such an incredible place to learn that, especially because of all the failure. Um, and, and if we are constantly looking for ways, so the word encourage means to inspire courage. Okay. We want as baseball players, we want to have courage. Baseball coaches, we want to have courage and we want our players to have courage. You hear a lot of people talking about trying to eliminate fear, right? Fear doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. We hear the word anxiety all the time. So we want to have courage. We want others to have courage. Um, but I can't just conjure that up inside of myself. To encourage someone is to inspire courage in them. And it's something we're trying to do in our program all the time, looking around, looking at others and try and find ways to inspire courage in them to whether that's to work or to perform or to persevere. Um, if we don't have each other and we're on our, we're on our own. This is going to be really tough. What are you specifically looking for in the, in the recruiting process? Like we talked a little bit about before we started re recording that, you know, you know, specifically the type of kid that, that you want in your program. And I think all the great coaches are like that, where they, they know exactly what they're looking for. Um, they don't have just, you know, just wide eyes. They, they, they know exactly what they're looking for when they're out recruiting. Who, who are you looking for? Yeah. Well, I mean, at Cedarville, we're, we're a Christian university and, and it's not like a Christian in name only thing. I mean, we, we take God and his word very seriously. We'd love to, um, we love to study his word. We love to worship him. We have chapel five days a week. Every student that goes to Cedarville is going to graduate with a minor in Bible because they're going to take a Bible class every semester. So it's a unique fit. Um, not everybody wants that kind of education and wants that kind of social and spiritual environment. So for me, obviously, I'm only looking for guys that are interested in that, which uh, in some ways people think that makes recruiting difficult. It, it doesn't. It makes recruiting a lot easier for me because they're, you know, not everybody wants that situation. So if I'm out at Grand Park in, in Indianapolis and I and I see, uh, you know, I see 50 college coaches out there, they could be watching players on every field and just looking for specific things, specific athletes or attributes. Um, and for me, I've got to know the, I've got to know a little bit of a player and his character and what he's looking for um, at the next level before I can even, I can even like him. It's a waste to fall in love with somebody who's a great athlete or a great player uh, when you don't know that they're going to be a great fit. When you do um, get it down to the baseball stuff though, I mean, all of us as coaches, we're building rosters, right? Um, I am, some coaches are just trying to build their roster one year at a time. Is and I'm going to get the best player I can find this year. And if that pushes somebody else on my roster out, so be it. Okay. We're not going to do that here. I, so I've got 16 returning players. 
And I'm trying to build those players. And then, then I'm trying to build around those players with new guys. So I can be very specific. If I look at this year on our pitching staff, we only had one left-handed arm. So I know we have to get more left-handed on the mount. So in the 23 class, I've got four more left-handed pitchers coming in and that's going to be really helpful. Um, what I love to see first and foremost in a player is that they can play a great game of catch, that their arm works and their body works with their arm. If the arm doesn't really work uh, and the body doesn't work with the arm, I'm, I'm not going to be super excited about that kid. Um, it doesn't matter what position on the mound or, or defensively as well. Uh, and, and what it tells me is, you know, guys that, whose arms are really clean and work really well are, are usually guys that have played a lot of catch guys that have taken care of themselves. But um, I'll give you a, a quick story. When I was at the University of Arizona, our hitting coach, Jerry Stitt, who ended up being the head coach there at a certain point, unbelievable guy, unbelievable coach. Um, he walked in, this was uh, this was in, in 1994, 1995, so like a million years ago. Ken Griffey Jr. was was the king of baseball at the time. And I he came in and, you know, we were getting ready to lift or getting or finishing up with a lift. And he said, you know, Griffey has like 60 million home runs that year. And, you know, why does Griffey, why does Griffey have so much power? Do you guys have any idea how much Ken Griffey Jr. bench presses? And of course, none of us have any idea because there's, you know, that stuff's not being published. And, and he says he benches 185. That's it. And, you know, all of us are benching whatever well beyond that. And we don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it hit us like it's not, it's not just about being strong. And, and Sitter said, you know, he hits home runs because that guy's had a bat in his hand. He was in a major league clubhouse from the minute he was born and he was swinging a bat when he was two months old. All right. So when we're recruiting baseball players, we want the most important stuff to be the easiest stuff for guys. And when it comes to baseball, which is all about playing a great game of catch, if playing catch is difficult for a high school player, that is not going to get a lot better at the college level. So that would just be one thing I'm looking for the, at the very beginning. So if I'm recruiting, I, I'm definitely out there for catch play. I want to see guys get loose. I want to see uh, a pitcher's kind of kind of warm-up routine. Those things are important to me too. But can they play a good game of catch? And, and that's where it starts for us. I had um, I had Doug Lauman on my podcast who, man, he's been scouting. I think he's 35, 40 years probably, and he was a scouting director for the White Sox. And – you know, listening to you say that right there about playing catch and warming up, um, he he said on the podcast that he would be in or out on the kid just by after he warmed up. Absolutely, he's like he he's like half the time I didn't even need to really watch the game. I was like that that that's crazy to me. But hearing you say that with all your experience scouting and and you know helping players with recruiting and everything, hearing him say that, like man, like success leaves clues. Like these guys have been successful. They've watched a ton of baseball. There's probably something to that where if you can't warm up, if you can't just play catch and and just, you know, watching you how you run and doing all these from an athleticism standpoint, then you're probably not going to be a, a, a great or a, a good college baseball player, or a good fit for your program. So it's interesting to hear you say that now, too. It's like, man, I keep hearing this from people who who have been doing this a long time. Yeah, you just I mean, it's the fun stuff, right? Baseball should be fun. Uh, it should be a DNA thing for you. And, um, and so we hope, I mean, that's the most, that should be the most fun part of practice, honestly. And you know, I'm 47 years old and I could still go out and play catch if I wanted to, but I, I remember vividly 
um, the days of my college career, how much fun it was to go get loose and stretch that thing. And I was long tossing twice before games uh, once I got to my junior and senior year. But playing catch, it's such a gift to be able to do it. And for a guy that's not great at catch play, and, and there's a couple things that go into that, okay? We we want to look at um, the way the arm actually works. Is the arm pretty loose and pretty easy? It doesn't have to be long or short necessarily, but is it loose and is it easy? Uh, and can you vary your effort and can you vary your arm slots and angles? Um, if a player has the ability to do that, they're not going to have a hard time making the routine play, but they're also... Um, going to be really versatile. I can take that guy that can that that has a, a strong arm but a loose arm and, and can adapt from different angles. And that guy can play just about anywhere on the field. But that guy also, because playing catch is easy, he's going to make some of those game-saving, game-changing, out-of-your-mind type plays. Versus the guy that playing catch, the arm's a little bit stiff, you're kind of locked into one angle, um, you might make the routine play. But you're going to have a really tough time being more versatile, putting you in different places on the field. Uh, and you're not going to make that out of your mind game saving play. So that's that's another reason why it's so important. Well, I also think, too, just you have to be able to play your position. You can't be a liability at the college level and and get in the lineup. Right. I mean, I mean for that to be the case, you, you would have to be such a good hitter and that would be putting so much pressure on your bat. Um, I know. And, and that's, it's, it's funny to hear you say all this because you haven't even mentioned hitting yet. Right. That, and it goes to show how important being able to, to play your position and being able to throw and, and not be a liability is, um, speaking of hitting though, like what are some things you're looking for? Like, do you have something similar on the hitting side where it's like, man, if they can't do just X, Y, and Z they're I'm not interested. Yeah. I mean, at the high school level, when, when you're watching high school hitters um, and facing the pitching they are, obviously these guys need to be need to be finding barrels. I am, you know, every every hitting guy has their preferences. I'm, a, I'm more of a middle of the field guy. We have a huge yard here. It's 402 to center, 383 in the gaps. And when you're um, when when it's 25 or 30 degrees outside and the wind's blowing straight in, uh, it doesn't do a lot of good to hit a bunch of fly balls or just to be real pull oriented. And um, and we know that at every level of college baseball and high school baseball, that, that pitchers for the most part are trying to get guys, trying to beat guys out front and they're trying to beat guys on the outer half. So the first thing I want to see is, is a guy's approach to stay in the big part of the field. Um, I, I get so much video as all college coaches do and you watch it and you see that guy just sent me a highlight of, uh, you know, 15 different ABs and every single ball was hit to the pull side. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Like if you're a big old donkey and you can get up on top of the plate and just pull everything, God bless you. But um, it is, it is, it's not going to be a reality here at the field that we play at and the competition that we're playing against that you can just be that guy. So for me, um, looking for balls, uh, balls consistently being able to be hit to the big part of the field. Um, you know, some guys are going to be okay, okay with swing and miss a little bit more than others. Um, I do prefer, uh, a lot more ball in play, um, maybe than some coaches that are, that are a little bit newer school. Um, and then athleticism in the box. Uh, I, I want guys who look comfortable, um, and, and so I'm paying close attention to those things. Swing decisions, those continue to be trained. You're going to good hitters chase still. Um, but does, when a guy steps in the box, does he look comfortable? 
Does he look relaxed? And for the most part, is he in the big part of the field? And there's a conversation to be had with a kid who plays a great game of catch, is comfortable in the box, and is staying in the middle of the field. I mm, love that. I just love how simple that that philosophy is right there. Of what I mean, that's great stuff. Um, yeah, I, I really like that. What about what, what are some of the mistakes you see in the recruiting process? Because you talk to a lot of high school kids. You know, I'm sure you're, you're seeing stuff on social media. I mean, you've spent a, a lot of time working with with high school players in the recruiting process like what are some things that that man it would it would save it would save a lot of headaches if parents and players didn't do xyz yeah well first and foremost i mean so i'm I'm from california i live in ohio you know i moved to ohio and I, i didn't know what sports fandom was until i moved to ohio and you know when you get here you got babies in Ohio state diapers and Ohio state pacifiers. And, you know, so a kid grows up sometimes just, he has this thing on his mind and, and it's really hard to get past it. And we want kids to have dreams. We absolutely do, but we also want, want kids to be informed. And I think the biggest mistake that, um, that players make is in the recruiting process, they fall in love with one school or one level of college baseball. And, um, and so they're so locked in there that they don't really pay attention to what they, they don't ever consider what they actually want in a college experience. And this is why parents need to help and high school coaches need to help. And anybody else who's in the recruiting process needs to help. Um, you know, I always broke it down pretty simply, you know, it starts with geography. Like, where do you actually want to spend this next four years of your life? You can say, oh, I'll go anywhere. Well, I, I've worked with players from California who said, I, I just want to play division one. I, I don't care. I'll go anywhere. And they go to a division one in New York and guess what? They're back home in California a year later. Uh, it, that, that D one bust uh, D one or bust mentality that any of us in the recruiting world have dealt with. It's really tough, um, but it starts with geography. Like, where do you want to live? And after that, it's the academic piece, right? Like where, you know, do, is what you want to study available at the school that you're looking at, the school that you love. And then it's not just about the actual major. It's about the environment that you want to study in. Like, do you want to go to a school? I still remember my, my first week at University of Arizona and there's 45,000 students on campus and I'm walking from my dorm to, to my first class and there's 600 people sitting in an auditorium at this like astronomy class. And it's dark in there and I can't even hardly see my professor. My professor's never going to know me. He's never going to know if I'm in there or not. And, um, you know, I just feel like I'm in, in the middle of New York city while I'm at school. And for me, I went to a fairly big high school, but I realized like, this is not, this is not a great academic environment for me. I need accountability. I need my teacher to know whether I'm in class or not. Some people can thrive in that situation and some people don't. So academics, you know, you really have to think what, what kind of academic environment am I going to thrive in? I transferred to Westmont college in Santa Barbara, California with 1200 students. And most of my classes have 20, 25 people in there. And I know all my professors and it's just really different. So kids need to think through that stuff. So we talk about geography, we talk about academics, but then, then after we find schools that fit in those categories, then let's start talking about baseball. Um, the other thing that's, that's important as, um, and it's not hard to do. It's just a matter of will kids take the time to do this? Well, I really want to play at Tennessee. I really want to play at TCU. Yeah, I get it. I know that you do. Do you have any idea what those players were actually like when they were your age right now? 
So you're looking at a guy who's starting at one of those in one of those programs and he's a sophomore in college and you're a sophomore in high school or a junior in high school. It is not hard to go back to PBR, go back to Twitter, go back to, uh, you know, Baseball Factory, Perfect Game, YouTube and find video and metrics of those players when they were your age and find out what kind of player they were and are, how do you compare um and so it's hard to it's hard to get to work when all you have is the dream right in front of you you need to be able to see past the dream and see what it takes to actually get there so the biggest mistake is just having the dream and not knowing the work to do to find out whether you can actually be a fit at one of those programs that's good stuff i i think part of like what i see too and i think this is just because baseball is the way it is is you know a kid may play against another kid on another team and and he has a good game and that kid who's going to this you know maybe tennessee or whatnot doesn't have a good game and so he thinks that well now i, I should be able to play at tennessee too when in reality that's just not how baseball works right it's, that was one day if i go and see mike trout play for one day, what makes him special is not what I saw that day. It's, you know, every single day, what he's doing day in and day out. And I think that's what makes the best players, the best players. And so that that's a slippery slope to, to compare yourself, you know, or, or just think about it just as after one game. And to your point, there's, there's metrics, there's other things, there's projectability. Um, you know, I remember I talked, I mentioned Doug Lauman earlier, but one of the things he said is, Hey, the best player on the team isn't always the best prospect too. And that's hard for, for certain people to, to understand. Um, and I also think too, it's, it seems for some parents, it's, it's like a, a personal insult. If you say their kid isn't division one, like it, it's, it's, it's personal. It's like, man, that's how, how is this personal? There's guys in the major leagues who have played division two, you know, played junior college of, have gone on. I had uh, um, Michael McHenry on uh, my podcast, and and he was talking about his experience. And Mike Rabello, who's the third base coach for the Pirates, he had Division One offers out of high school, and he chose to go Division Two so he could play right away, and so he could make it to the big leagues. He knew he wasn't going to develop if he wasn't going to play. And so there's a guy who went D two, went to the big leagues, and turned down D one, but. Um, I know that's just kind of what I've seen is just, man, it's, it's not personal. You know what I mean? It's not personal. And you talk about the parents and um, the parents obviously have, um, has such a huge role to play. And most parents did not play division one baseball. There were no moms that played division one baseball and, and, and 99.9% .9 of dads didn't play division one baseball as well. And um, you know, it's important. Uh, there are, there are plenty of, I say plenty of, there are experts out there. Um, there are people that can really help. You're one of them. You understand the game at that level. Um, and, and just trying to go get some non-biased information about, you know, if I'm a parent and I've got, man, I've got soccer players and track runners and swimmers and wrestlers and in my family, stuff that I know nothing about. I only know baseball. And, you know, if, if they show an aptitude for something and have a dream of doing it at a higher level, then my job um, if they're doing a good, if they as kids are being responsible and doing a great job in school and they're loving their siblings and, and in general being good citizens, then how do I invest in getting good information for them from a non-biased source? And um, and parents are, we're going to be biased. We love our kids so much. We can't help it. Uh, but 
remembering this too, and a lot of emails that we'll get as college coaches, they're always going to have numbers in them, right? And the metrics are helpful. Um, they're not as helpful as people think. Like a 60-yard dash number means something to me. It really does. I mean, you good athletes, um, you know, if you run a 6'4", that's going to show up probably in some other areas of your game. I'm really interested to see you if you run a 6'4", 60. I want to see how the arm works and how the how the bat works as well. Um, you know, the exit below, we've watched enough guys take these donkey hacks off of tees with a pocket radar sitting in front of them. And, and we can know the exit velo number. If we saw that swing on video, we would probably be able to say that that number does or that swing does not play at our level. And so, um, the other metrics, the statistics, it's not that stats aren't valuable. They, they absolutely are, but um, you're not comparing apples to apples. You know, a kid who plays at a tiny little private school where every guy, every male in the in the high school has to play all three sports um, versus a guy that's going to a high school with 3000 people. Um, it's it's not apples to apples when it comes to stats. It really isn't. And so we as college coaches, we're looking at the body and the way that the body works. Please do send us the numbers. The numbers do have some value. But how many kids get hung up on? I had this was my batting average. This is my exit velo. This is this, this is this. And we're just looking at the body and saying, kid, if you, if you only knew that those numbers are great, but that body doesn't work at our level and that approach doesn't work at our level. So don't believe that your numbers are the thing that are going to get you recruited. Yeah. I, I know it's, I'm sure it's tough. Uh, I'm sure it's, you know, frustrating. Like, are, are there any stories that maybe like you have of, of, of working with kids who uh, maybe when you started working with them, they, uh, you know, maybe we're, we're in that type of mindset where it was like, man, it's, you know, D one or bust or whatnot. And then you continue to, to educate them and their families. And by the end, they were uh, open to playing at all levels and just ended up having a great career. Like, do you have any stories or any players in mind of that? Yeah. Well, it's funny you ask. Um, I, I coached his brother mostly at Westmont college, but, but had the the privilege of being with Steven Vogt, um, who caught in the big leagues with, uh, with the A's and the Reds and the Brewers and the Braves just, just wrapped up his major league career, um, last year. And, uh, you know, the, my first introduction to Stephen Vogt was was a um, was a videotape that I got from Baseball Factory, uh, where the Zusa Pacific University got from Baseball Factory and um, and just chasing down on this kid from this tiny little school uh, in the Central Valley in California. Um, you know what? There were a, he was such an incredible hitter. He was a solid defender, but such an incredible hitter that there was a little bit of Division One love out there. Uh, but he really did want to play and he didn't want to go that far from home. And he landed at NAIA at the time, Azusa Pacific University and had a great four year career and got drafted and went on. So that's a, that would be an older story of somebody who said, you know what, it it matters to me. The geography matters to me, but it matters to me that I'm going to go get a chance to get my uniform dirty right away. And because if you don't get your uniform dirty early on in college, it's going to be really hard to have a uniform to get dirty beyond college. Um, the other thing when we're trying to help manage uh, a high school player's effort 
when you pull them back from, dude, you don't have to send out 50 emails every night to every college coach in the country. You don't have to send them updated exit velocity because you went from 92.7 to 93.3. Um, how about instead of doing that, we really start focusing on your nutrition and we really start focusing on you changing your body and getting stronger. And we really start focusing in a little bit more on your offensive approach. And we chip away at this and this and this. And that kid who was not going to get any love whatsoever at a higher level of college baseball, frankly, because he wasn't physical and athletic enough, stopped focusing on blasting out 50 million emails and going to every PBR event that he possibly could and playing every single weekend of the entire year started focusing on on getting healthy and getting stronger and paying attention to the little things. And all of a sudden he wakes up two years later and gets an opportunity because he focused on those things instead of being so stuck on the recruiting process when he was 14 and 15 years old. Mm, that's good stuff, man. I, we got to put that quote you just said on a t-shirt about if you don't get your uniform dirty early in college, you're not going to get your uniform dirty um, after college too. Like that was an incredible quote. I love that. This game's fun to play, Patrick. It's so much fun. Like I just, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I, I had a catcher years ago in summer ball, um, Alabama kid. And he, he came up to me, he's like, coach, I love baseball. Like a fat kid loves cake. And I died. I and mean, if you look at him, he was a catcher who clearly loved cake and he clearly loved baseball and um, the sweetest kid ever. But that line stuck with me. You know, I've got um, and growing up with uh, growing up as a dad with with my little kids loving Legos. And so Christmas Day, they were so fired up about those Legos. And to see them, like as soon as they opened them, they didn't care about anything else. They just wanted to start building right away. And they'd be building all through the day. You know, oh, I have to eat dinner. Okay, fine. Can I get back to my Legos? And they're asking me to be on the floor with them building Legos. And that is the kind of love that that we're looking for in players. And that's the kind of love that we want players to have every single time they put a uniform on every time they get in the cage, every time they get out to the field, it's, it's our job as coaches to foster that love. And it's not always easy to do because we're so competitive. We want to win so desperately, but this game should be fun. And we've got to do every, the game is not super fun when we're not playing. Now, if you know, you're going to be like, as a pitcher, you're not going to play all the time. Right. And being in the dugout pitchers are phenomenal in the dugout and they do, they learn to have so much fun. We got to rein it in a lot of times, but um, you know, for position players, especially, you know, if you're just stuck and you know, you're not going to get any opportunities, you're looking at that college program. That's got that JV team and they've got guys wearing numbers in the sixties and seventies and eighties on their team. Um, you know what? Some people are just going to be okay saying, I was a college baseball player. Most people who love this game are not going to be content unless they get to get the uniform dirty. And, and I think as you pursue the recruiting process, um, that's the thing. If you love this game that you need to have on your mind, do I have a chance to, to get it dirty here? Incredible. Matt, you're the best, man. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Um, wh where can people connect with you? Where should they go to uh, learn more about you? Or, well, or I'm not worth following personally. I'll tell you that. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to follow Cedarville at all, you guys know how to do all that stuff online. Um, but, uh, I, Patrick, I really appreciate you. Listen, there are, 
there are people who do this with an agenda and and really trying to build their brand. Um, there are people that do this out of genuine love and genuine curiosity. And from the first time I met you uh, at Sinclair back in 2019, I know you've done everything you do out of a love for the game, a genuine curiosity and desire to get better. And in doing that, you're serving so many other people who desperately need this really good information. So follow Patrick. And follow me. Uh, You're too kind. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Matt. You got it. Great talking to you. Uh, We ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Killing the game. Dead on arrival. No mercy for rivals. This is for glory. This is our story. This is the future. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line.